Hello, this is Thea Fiore Bloom. I am the journalist and artist behind the Charm Studio podcast. Thank you for coming and giving your precious time, attention, and energy here with today. We're doing a really interesting piece on Beatrix Potter today, and I've titled it Beatrix Potter, What She Did with Mushrooms, Her Relationship with Her Postman, and Five Other Things You Don't Know About Her That Can Make Your Art Life Bloom. You know, one thing I've really often wondered, I love Beatrix Potter books, but I've often wondered when I've read them how Beatrix Potter managed to make rabbits who wore little velvet jackets seem really real. I mean, how did she get us to imagine that we can even smell that lavender in Mr. McGregor's garden? I was so curious, I just decided, you know, I'm going to reach out to Marta McDowell for answers. She's this amazing horticulturist and New York Times bestselling author of Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life, The Plants and Places That Inspired the Classic Children's Tales. And Marta told me that a good deal of the sensory appeal of Potter's tales lies in her scientifically accurate depiction of certain things in her fiction. So I wanted to find out, and I hope you do too, What are those certain things in Potter's fiction that make it so real? So I also wanted to give you eight wild things I found out about Beatrix Potter that could help make your art or your writing life uh, blossom in the process. So if you're up for that, let's go. Fact number one, what you don't know about Beatrix Potter is that she was a mycologist or a mushroom scientist. Not only was Potter a really wonderful scientific illustrator, she was an actual scientist obsessed with mushroom spore germination. And if you've ever looked closely at at the mushrooms in Beatrix Potter's stories, they're not only beautiful, they're scientifically accurate. For example, when Potter's toads have a tea party and... They're not just seated on this like cartoonish mushroom table like Walt Disney's illustrators would have uh, toads sitting at. No, no, no. Potter's toads have their tansy cake on this meticulously rendered toadstool mushroom table. And each of the scallop-shaped toad chairs that the guys are on, they're made of something called a cluster bracket fungus, which is also known as polyporous squamous or dryads saddle. So... The tip for artists and writers here is don't be afraid to combine two seemingly mismatched lifetime obsessions of yours in your art, like Potter did when she combined mycology and children's stories. Tip number, uh, the fact number two I wanted to go over, what you don't know about Beatrix Potter, is that she had a most marvelous postman. So during Potter's lifetime, the old boys club in the form of the Linnaean Society blocked Potter and many other women from professionally flourishing in science. But thankfully, Potter often received like almost a daily vote of male confidence, camaraderie, and valuable scientific feedback from a most most unlikely source, and that source was her postman. Potter's postman happened to be a fascinating naturalist by the name of Charles McIntosh. He too was a brainy mycologist, and he became her lifelong platonic pen pal and mushroom specimen supplier of Potter. So they would often share species, and and uh, he would help her critique her drawings. And um, he was just a really marvelous catalyst and confidence booster for Potter uh, in her. Um, illustration. Her scientific illustration is so amazing. And if you go look on the on the blog post, which there's a link to in the show notes, 
you can see an example of her mushroom studies from the Arment Museum and Library in England. They're just exquisite. So the lesson here, the tip for artists and writers as far as Potter's Postman is concerned is you might be getting pushback, you might be getting rejection in one area of your art life or one area of your writing life, but just remember that helping hands exist all around you, even if you don't see them all the time. Your next mentor may be knocking on your door as we speak, just like Potter's Postman. So keep your eyes peeled for a new mentor, a new supporter, a new collaborator. It could be a neighbor, it could be somebody you run into at the health food store. You never know. Stay positive because our life is always balanced out between people that are trying to push us down and people that are trying to lift us up. We just have to make the choice of who we want to have faith in and hang out with. So fact number three that what you don't know about Potter is that she was a big bug fan. She loved bugs. Potter and her brother loved life sciences from early childhood on. She had a really strange, wonderful scientific education, and she was homeschooled, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, Her and her brother had a mini museum with a laboratory in their nursery, or study. It was replete with microscopes, with dissection tools, it had fossils, it had books, it had insects, both alive and dead. And as McDowell told me, Beatrix Potter insisted on all the science and all the naturalism in her own stories to be exactly true. And that's why in the tale of Miss Tittlemouse, you'll see, let's first say, for example, there's a toad named Mr. Jackson, and he encounters this butterfly tasting these sugar cubes atop this lovely little china cup. But this butterfly is no generic, like, pinked, winged thing, right? It's no, it's not, you know, Tinkerbell butterfly. It's an accurately etched Vanessa Atalanta, which is commonly known as the Red Admiral. And as McDowell told me, if you read Beatrix Potter's stories, it's not outrageous to think, oh, there actually are rabbits who wear little velvet jackets because everything else is so real. It increases the reality of the things that are fantasy, end quote. So the tip here for writers and artists is to ask yourself if any of your own fantastical drawings, your paintings, your sculpture, any of your writing or your prose, would any of it be fortified by sprinkling in some science? I know it's an odd question, but just want to put it into your mind as something to consider because so many of my art so many of my artist subscribers are interested in science and um there are two there are two fascinating realms that have a lot of crossover points and i talk about that more in my article on uh rachel carson i have two articles on the blog on rachel carson which i'll refer to in the show notes and it talks about this that beautiful like kind of venn diagram intersection area between art and science okay fact number four potter's pets were the unpaid stars of her stories one reason beatrix potter's drawings of rabbits and mice are so real is that they're the culmination of countless hours of her life drawing of animals. And those animals that she employed most often as her models were conveniently from her own exotic menagerie. So she cared for pet rabbits, Peter Piper being one of them. She cared for her pet mice, Zarifa to the left in the blog post. I have a beautiful illustration of the mice at work in the Taylor of Gloucester starring Zarifa. She also had pet, pet guinea pigs. She had pet salamanders. It was amazing. Ferrets, She had uh, hedgehogs, and they all kept her company 
in her real life and graced her book pages and enchanted children and adults as well. So the tip for artists and writers here is that if you haven't had a formal art education, consider seeing that as a plus, not a minus. That's what Potter did. And one of my favorite favorite quotes from Beatrix Potter is she said, quote, thank goodness I was never sent to school. It would have rubbed off some of the originality, end quote. So love and respect yourself for learning what you wanted to learn on your own terms. And screw the idea that you have to go to art school or you have to go to graduate school to be legit. I just don't believe in that. Uh, what do you what you don't know about Beatrix Potter? Fact number five is that Beatrix Potter loved historic home museums. McDowell told me that, uh, quote, you know, the places Potter went in order to create these stories were real worlds. And sort of the only thing that are added are the details of Potter's imagination. But those details, McDowell said, those details are all layered on top of actual things. So many of Potter's discoveries took place in grand historic manor houses and home museums in Wales, in England, in Ireland, all the places where she and her family would summer. So, for example, like if you see Mr. McGregor's potting shed in The Tale of Peter Rabbit, it looks so real in part because it was a replica exactly down to the geraniums, the clay pots, the gardening tools, the hose, the rakes, <laughs> everything. And it was a potting shed that Beatrix Potter had stumbled on at the Bedwell Lodge in Hertfordshire in 1891. So she would do these um, intense drawings and figure studies of these manor houses, the interiors and the exteriors, and that added such a layer of believability to her stories. So the tip for artists here is to be like Beatrix and love doing field work. And I'll refer to the show notes about how to do field work for artists. I have a really good article I think that will inspire you to do that. And also be like Beatrix in that poke around historic home museums and maybe sell your work in museum shops there. That's a great venue for artists. And I have a link to the posts I have on selling your work in museum shops also in the show notes. So there's great info all around us for cheap. If you visit an old theater, you can visit a battlefield, you can visit a mosque, you can visit a movie studio and get the historic details right for your painting or your play. And it'll keep your brain like bubbling and it'll lend veracity to your writing and it'll make you remember, most importantly, when you visit places like that with a little notebook in hand, it'll make you remember how cool it is to be an artist or writer and how lucky we are to have that as our job, even if it's our job only on the weekends. So what you don't know about Beatrix Potter fact six is that she camped out at the V&A. Beatrix even researched all the vintage clothes and the textiles in her books. It wasn't just the furniture in her books that she researched and drew from life. For example, Potter painstakingly copied this luscious silk embroidered waistcoat. It's like a magenta uh, rose color. It's so beautiful with kind of verdant green uh, flowers. And Potter painstakingly copied this embroidered waistcoat from the Taylor of Gloucester from a period waistcoat that she repeatedly sketched in detail during her visits to the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, which if you have gone there, you know, uh, it's one of my favorite museums in the world. It's very well known for its gift shop, actually, but the museum itself is just, it's a museum of design um, and Uh, history, uh, a history of art and design. So the tip for artists is get to a city museum, 
find an uncrowded gallery in a city museum and perch on one of those, you know, those big mattress-sized benches once in a while that you see that are empty and take a little moleskin notebook and a pencil. A pencil because I have gotten in trouble in museums. They don't want you to bring pens in museums. So it's okay to have a pencil and a notebook and just sit there on one of those giant benches and let your beautiful cranium open and invite the muses in. Because after all, what I love is that the word museum comes from a Greek word, which means where the muses dwell. So the city with its art museums really engaged Potter's mercurial mind, but it's our final fact and our final tip that have to do with something Potter loved even more than the city, which was the countryside. Beatrix Potter, you might have known this, not known, not have not known this, um, she left a giant behemoth bequest to the National Trust. So the forests and the fields of Great Britain gave so much to Beatrix Potter during her lifetime. And she returned the favor. She was born in 1866. She died in 1943. The garden and the land really brought her back after the death of her husband. She was a savvy, tenacious businesswoman who succeeded despite repeated creative rejection. And to put it bluntly, Beatrice Potter made bank. Did you know that she self-published Peter Rabbit? And that she even invented character merchandising. I have a really cool link um, to share with you guys about that. Uh, What character merchandising is, is it means that she got a hefty percentage of every naughty Peter Rabbit plush toy and every Peter Rabbit Miss Tiggy Winkle teacup ever sold. And she still does give get percentages of that and it's still sent to her estate which is now a part of the National Trust so over the course of her career as a working artist and a working writer Potter quietly funneled all that hard-earned money from her books and her royalties that she fought so hard for into consistent land purchases and she ended up check this out buying and owning 4,000 acres of woods and farmland in the really gorgeous Lake District of England. And the reason it's the really gorgeous Lake District of England is in part because Potter preserved it. She purchased it and purposefully did so, uh, bought that land to generously bequeath that land and her writing studio, Hilltop, which you can visit still today, with those ongoing royalties that she bequeathed to the public through the National Trust upon her death in 1943. So her books are still making money and that money is still being given to the people and we can still enjoy um, the gift that Potter gave us through her children's books, but also the gift of undeveloped land. So the tip for artists and writers, my last tip here, folks, is don't assume you're bad at business, okay? Do your research, submit, 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 Never stop believing in the originality and the value of your work. Self-publish if you want. Don't sign your copy right away. And one more last thing is maybe really great idea is to buy land. So it's over to you. I'd love to know what you think. Do you love Beatrix Potter? How did you first encounter her work? Did you see it in film? Did you see it on TV? Did you have the books read to you as a child? Have you read the books to your children or grandchildren? I'd love to know in the comments below. And don't forget to pop over to my mostly free resources for artists page or check out my writing coaching for artists over on www.thecharmstudio.com. And I just want you guys to stay confident. Uh, remember, as Anais would say, our life seems to expand in direct proportion to our courage. So 
stay brave, be wild, be weird, get into whatever your beautiful brain wants to get into and let it flourish. And it'll not just benefit you, but it'll benefit others. Uh, We'll look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. Be well.